<laughs> finger guns like crazy. Tuesday's midterms elections are over. Well, at least they're almost over. Uh, what happened to the red tsunami that uh, people like Jim suspected was going to happen? I don't know. We'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to be covering the good, the bad, and the ugly of the election. Also, what do the results mean for Trump? And lastly, what do the elections mean policy-wise for the country? We're going to be talking about this and more on episode 371 of the In the Tank podcast. folks welcome to the in the tank podcast as always i am your host donald kendall and joining me today i've got jim likely vp of the heartland institute how are you doing today good sir i'm doing just great and when i ask donnie for finger guns to start the podcast i get finger guns it was fantastic <laughs> that's your best finger guns ever they're so fast <laughs> sorry the quickest finger guns in the west that's right also joining us justin haskins editorial director at the heartland institute and co-author of the latest glenn beck book the Great Reset, Joe Biden, and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism, Justin Haskins. What's going on, sir? Uh, no, not too much. I'm doing all right. Um, you guys were making fun of my uh, my beard earlier when I came on the show, so now I need to go see my therapist when the show is over. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I'm doing okay. It's going all yeah. right. Yeah, Justin just went on a uh, just a bender since Tuesday night. Apparently, <laughs> he's just woken up from the stupor <laughs> to join our podcast. <laughs> Is that yeah, what's I was. It's funny. I was gonna make a I was gonna make a joke uh, last week to you, or, or no earlier this week. I think on Monday I had a plan to make a joke oh. with you on uh, one of our phone calls that I was growing out my beard because I knew you'd be seeing this, um, and that I was not gonna shave it until Republicans won until they took over. <laughs> Uh, everything and, and i'm really glad that i didn't make that promise to anybody because i thought that would be really funny and now i don't know <laughs> I, might, I might be growing this beard out for years oh well we've got a lot to talk about this episode but before we do i do have to put out that uh alert to our audio only listeners that uh is most it's 99.9 percent .9 of our audience here that if you want to join in the conversation, you could watch our live stream a day earlier on Thursdays at noon, streaming on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Rumble. And uh, you can join the conversation, put your comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. So I just want to put that word out there. And also, if you want to support our channel, uh, you could do it just by doing a couple of easy things. One is hitting that like button. One is sharing this content hitting that subscribe button. If you haven't already or leaving a comment under the video, any of those things will help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. But like I said, lots of, we got some love the beard comments. Those, those must be your fake accounts. So we, we have a lot to talk about. Um, but let's start off with a little video here. So last week, I asked the panel composed of Jim, Chris, and Cameron what they thought was going to happen in the midterms. So here is a bit of their responses. Go ahead and play that video. Thank you. Oh, I, th I think it's going to be a, a red tsunami. I think 63 seats in the House is a <laughs> very ambitious number. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that. But um, Nancy Pelosi's days of running uh, Washington uh are, are over very soon i totally agree with jim and you know the past couple election cycles the polls have been so wildly off i i don't i don't trust the polls anymore in a lot of races that you would think would just be you know slam dunks for the democrats like the uh, uh, gubernatorial race in uh, new york lee zeldin is in a is, is you know is within striking distance of kathy hochel uh there are a bunch of uh, senate seats that most people thought were going to be uh you know guaranteed to go to the democrats that are uh, competitive, especially in Washington State, in uh, Nevada, uh, Arizona, Blake Masters. Um, so there are a lot of uh, uh, races that I think Democrats thought that they were going to uh, have in the bag that the GOP is actually uh, uh, going to be pretty competitive in. I don't think this is going to be a red tsunami, 
but I do think that the that the uh, GOP is going to pick up House pretty you know pretty well, and I think that uh, the Senate's going to be really really tight. <laughs> my my son's trying to chime in and say that he thinks it's going to be a red wave too. Yep. So everyone was wrong, including my son. So uh, no no red wave. Bit of a red trickle, I think, is the the term that's trying to be coined by some. But I mean, it was still a win for the Republicans. Uh, as, as as of the time of the recording of this episode, it looks very likely the Republicans are going to take the House, which means the end of Nancy Pelosi being the Speaker of the House, which I think we can all celebrate. And there is still a slim, an outside chance that uh, Republicans can take the Senate. So Jim, as the only featured person in that flashback, giving just horrible predictions, I'll give you a first whack at this. What happened in your estimation? Well, I mean, not horrible, horrible, horrible pred predictions. They were bad. Let's just call them bad. We'll put this so the title of this podcast is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, I'll put that in the bad. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, you know, if we did this podcast yesterday, uh, as you know, Donnie, you were in the office yesterday, uh, my attitude would have been a lot uh, gloomier than it is right now. It's uh, being able to sleep on it for another 24 hours. Um, you know, I think it puts it a little bit more in perspective. I mean, the Democrats, yeah, they had a much better night uh, than expected, but they still lost seats. You know, the the, the majority they had in uh, in the House of Representatives was narrow to begin with, and so it was probably always going to to go. And so it is. I mean, the the, the Republicans will run the House, uh, and the Senate is either going to be the status quo, which is fifty fifty with the tiebreak by Vice President Kamala Harris, or more likely than it is for Democrats to pick up a seat and say they say there's 51 blue seats in the Senate, it's more likely that there would be 51 or even 52 uh, Republicans in the Senate. So that's still uh, that's still outstanding. I mean, uh, the looks like Nevada is going to go to the Republicans. It looks like uh, Arizona is going to be very tight. And, you know, we'll talk about how long it takes to count these votes, which is ridiculous in this country. But it, it looks like that's a, a real toss up. And there's a chance that uh, Blake Masters does come through and uh, and win that Senate seat. And if that happens, Washington really is changed in a lot of ways. Now, um, you know, even just coming in, like as I mentioned, the Republicans only needed five seats. They needed to swing five seats to take over the House and then hold everything else. Ron DeSantis is now that's where the tsunami came in. Um, you know, or you could say it was a, a pre-hurricane before the real hurricane that hit Florida uh, just last night. Uh, four house seats flipped just in the state of Florida. That's how big his his uh, momentum was. Uh, carried we'll, all these we'll other people that. over. He won by twenty points, almost or just about. I mean, that's that's amazing. He won by what? I think thirty thousand votes. It was so narrow. Florida was almost governed by a you know a drug addicted weirdo uh, from the Democrats, uh, Andrew Gillum. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. Instead, DeSantis. And now he's, you know, obviously um, the most powerful and popular governor in the entire country. Uh, so funny how things can change really fast. Uh, and as somebody mentioned in the comments, um, uh, you know, Biden said at his press conference yesterday that he's going to do nothing differently for the second half of his presidency. Uh, and that's even more reason for a new Republican majority in the House to stop everything and to do nothing. The the only real concern I have now, again, sleeping on it for another 24 hours, is that um, that the Republican majority in the House will be feckless, that they will uh, think that it is our job to do something and to shoo and to show the public that it can govern. And so they might start doing some squishy, stupid energy policy stuff that, that you know, seed some things to the Biden administration and to the, the leftist nut jobs that are in the House. Uh, so, you know, best case scenario, Republicans have the House and they just uh, basically pass budget bills and don't have anything else uh, on, the, on the Biden agenda uh, getting getting through their chamber for the next two years. So, Justin, uh, you weren't on last week, but I am curious of what your answer yeah. would have been if asked that same question of what your predictions for the midterms were going to be. Now, be honest. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know the outcomes here, so don't pretend like you would have predicted exactly what was going to happen. But what would have your what would have your predictions been last week? Um, I, I think I think like any reasonable minded person, I would have uh, predicted exactly what ended up happening. Um, and unfortunately there are no reason, reasonable minded people on the, on the podcast here. So y'all got it wrong. Um, no, I, you know, I, no, I, 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 no, I actually, I mean, I, I use the term red wave in, in a media interview that I, that I was in, uh, with a radio station in Florida. 
um, which was the only state where there was a red wave. So, you know, um, <laughs> but I, I also, yeah, I mean, on social media, I think I made comments to that effect as well. I mean, I, I believe that there would be, and the reason was really simple. If you just go back and you look at polling of the past several elections and you compare that to the actual results, very rare. I mean, in every case, there actually is not an example where this didn't hold true. The Republicans outperform what the pollsters predict. Always. I mean, not necessarily in every single race, but if you just look at it at a macro level, Republicans do better than what the pollsters predict. In this election, the Republicans did worse than the pollsters predicted in a lot of ways. So that's kind of hard to understand. I mean, it, it, it's 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 strange. It just doesn't it doesn't really fit. They the, the Republicans were essentially in, in a lot of polls. They were essentially tied uh, in states that Republicans never win or even do well in. Like there were places in the Northeast, congressional races in places like Rhode Island and in New Hampshire and in uh, parts of uh, uh, Washington State and Oregon and California where they never do well. And they were doing well in the polls. I mean, they were basically tied or even leading. And so how could anyone look at that and say, oh, Democrats or Republicans are going to underperform? I mean, that, this doesn't make any sense. So I don't I don't know why the polls were so off. That is really strange to me because um, they don't typically favor Republicans. Um, and they did this time around, apparently. Um, so I think that was uh, that's how I would have predicted. I, I think I would have said. Uh, a really strong red wave. Uh, I would have guessed that there would have been probably around 240 or so uh, Republicans in the House um, and that they would have taken the Senate at least by a seat or two. That may end up happening, but that's that's probably where I would have been. Um, I did not think that this sort of underwhelming response was what we were going to end up with. Um, and there's just no enthusiasm on the left. There's no enthusiasm at all, and yet they still manage to to win, to outperform Republicans. Yeah, you know, I, it's so, amazing. So I, I'll admit I, I don't, uh, I didn't look at any of the polls. I have in past elections. I remember we did like a one of those like pick the poll type of games, and when Trump was running in 2016, I got in second place, coming behind Justin. But uh, I didn't look at the polls anytime this this time around. And when I originally posed my question to Cameron in last week's episode, I framed it in a way that kind of reveals my thoughts on the then upcoming election. So, uh, you know, I, I, I honestly thought that it would be more or less how it ended up, how it ended up being. So I know the economy's on the rocks. I know gas prices are double what they were a year ago. Uh, I know inflation is crazy high. Uh, I know the party in power usually suffers in the midterm. I understand all of these things were pointing towards like a big night for Republicans. However, there was a huge factor that I think was hanging over the heads of Team Red. And that was that was abortion and the demise of Roe versus Wade. And this is a singular talking point for the left. Like, I, you know, and all of the all, you know, most, if not all of the campaign commercials that I saw featured something in regards to Roe versus Wade and abortion. And I'm trying to take away your rights. And, you know, it's like a one step away from Handmaid's Tale or something like that. And I'm no political scientist, but I suspect that perceived human rights issues will trump economic concerns for the general voting public. And before I get a rash of messages hating on me for what I'm saying here, let me just quickly add that this isn't a criticism of the demise of Roe versus Wade at all. I don't, I don't mean to come across that way. Uh, I understand that this is the most important issue for many voters. And I'd wager that offered the deal, you know, Roe versus Wade gets overturned, but you'll have to sacrifice some of the return in the midterms. I suspect a large percentage of conservatives would uh, voters would take that deal all day. And I'm not blaming them for that. So, Jim, uh, you know, I know that we don't really cover this this abortion topic or anything like that. But what do you think about my my theory here? Uh, I think that theory is right. In fact, what's what's weird is that in the uh, in the pre-election polls, when they asked voters what what was most important to them and what was going to most affect their vote, 
uh, abortion was on the list, but it was like number four, or number five behind crime and the economy and inflation and things like that. Climate change, of course, was not even registering. It was so low. <laughs> but I, I saw something the, uh, the other day in Pennsylvania, for instance, uh, exit polling showed that abortion, especially for women uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, abortion actually ranked higher in the exit polls as to what they voted on than than it did in the pre-election polls. So I think there's there's some there's some certainly some validity to your to your to your analysis there, Donnie. Uh, and yeah, I think most conservatives, uh, th this is actually very much like Obamacare, right? So uh, the Democrats crammed Obamacare down our throats by hook and by crook, uh, like uh, during Christmas week in 2009, knowing that they would be, as uh, President Obama called it, get a shellacking in the midterms. And they thought, totally worth it. We're going to we're going to absolutely redefine the relationship between the citizenry and its government by instituting Obamacare. Uh, no matter what happens in the midterms, that'll be worth it because that will last. And an election is always temporary. We get another one in another two years. Uh, and I think most conservatives would definitely trade what happened on Tuesday night. And again, it wasn't a shellacking. It wasn't. It just wasn't as big of a, uh, a you know a red wave as a lot of people had anticipated. Uh, you know, Justin, you had mentioned the. Um, I think you had mentioned the congressional preference polls, uh, where the Re Republicans usually are like two or three. If they're only two or three points down versus Democrats, then they have a really big midterm or they have a big a really big uh, congressional uh, victory, and so a lot of these polls showed Republicans up three or four, sometimes five points in the congressional preference polls. That's one of the reasons why I predicted a red tsunami, because, you know, if you use just that measure, and there are lots of measures, it sure looked that way. I saw something today where um, the the congressional preference poll actually, or actually, I'm sorry, the returns nationwide, and that's what that poll uh, measures, nationwide congressional preference. The nationwide congressional preference in that in that same measure is still plus Republican. It's just that they didn't win some of these uh, some of these races in some of these key states. They did flip, as I mentioned, uh, Democrat seats in the state of Florida, and they did flip several uh, state uh, several congressional districts, I should say, in the state of New York. Uh, so you know, and Republicans had a had a good night. They just didn't have the night everybody anticipated. I am done getting my hopes up for any elections now <laughs> because it just ruins my mood for at least a day. But, you know, Democrats, uh, another reason why you you would predict a red tsunami is because of all of the headwinds that were going up against uh, this president and his party. I mean, as you mentioned, Donnie, the highest inflation in 40 years, half the people alive today have never experienced uh, inflation, six, seven, eight uh, percent every month. They just haven't. They've never experienced a, an economy this bad in their entire lives. Uh, but Biden was actually less popular in this coming into this midterm election than Trump was when he uh, got his first midterm uh, election. So, you know, that was a factor that you would think would lead to a red wave. Uh, you know, you put in stuff like the baby formula shortage that this administration, um, you know, failed to solve and, and par partially created. Kids permanently set back in their education because of the COVID lockdowns, almost all done and continued and, and extended for a long time by Democrats. Looming energy crisis. They're having rolling blackouts in, in Southern California right now. And we're not even really at the crisis point in energy right now. And then Biden actually said before the election, no more. I'm going to kill coal and there's going to be no more drilling anymore either. Uh, you, you put all these things together and you would think that, uh, you know, not, not just the, the usual political headwinds, but they kept stepping on rakes everywhere they went. And uh, it still turned out that that Republicans won, but they didn't pick up, you know, 30, 40, 50 seats. They're probably going to end up picking up about, uh, you know, 20, which is still pretty good. Well, Justin, so I. I... Not sure I still fully understand the extent of kind of the dour mood of conservatives. And I made this very clear last week that, like, I am not uh, the most, you know, uh, when, it, when it comes to all this stuff, I, I'm not politically minded. I re rather talk about policy. So, like, maybe this is par for the course when it comes to politics. But like I mentioned earlier, like, the Republicans won. It wasn't a huge win, but it was a win. The divided Congress is going to prevent Biden's most radical legislation from getting passed. And even if Republicans took both chambers of Congress, it's not like they'd be able to do much considering Biden is still the president. So why the long faces, Justin? Well, I, I think I think because generally speaking, um, the party that is out of power in a president's uh, after a president has been elected, the first midterm after that election 
the party that is not in power always wins or almost always wins. I mean, that's what almost that, that, that's all that happens in almost every single election. So the Republicans won this time around Democrats won the first midterm that Donald Trump was president, uh, in Obama's first midterm Republicans won and on and on it goes Republicans all the way back to Bill Clinton and Republicans. Okay. So this has been going on for a long time. Uh, there are very few exceptions to this rule historically. Okay. In the last say 40 or 50 years. So Republicans were supposed to win. The issue Mm. was uh, things were so bad that Republicans should do better than just what normally happens. And they didn't see, this is like ideal conditions for Republicans winning. They usually outperform Democrats in midterms. Usually they do better. They usually do really well when they are not the party in power and they are uh, going up against the first term president. This first term president is doing a terrible job. And most Americans think he's not doing a very good job. The guy can't even remember which country his son died in. Okay. He's delusional and he's decrepit and he's falling apart. I'm, I mean, the, the, the man literally could drop dead tomorrow and it would shock absolutely no one. If that happened, how many presidents can you say that for in the past hundred years where you're like, yeah, Oh, he died yesterday. Not a shock. That makes sense. I mean, that's the kind of person that we have. Like it doesn't make any sense. So for Republicans to just do average for a midterm and a first year of a a first midterm after a a new president's been elected and they're the party out of it for them to just do average is a huge, huge, huge letdown. I mean, you have to, I mean, if we can't win under these conditions overwhelmingly, then how can we ever overwhelmingly win? I mean, that's, that's, and by we, I mean, conservatives, Republican, conservative ideas, not necessarily uh, Republicans and Democrats, but conservatives didn't win overwhelmingly, despite all the conditions being perfect for them to win overwhelmingly. And I guess that's, that's the the issue here. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, um, I think one of the factors, uh, especially as like the election night kind of started, was that we saw these results coming in from Florida and everyone was like, oh man, like if this is a sign of things to come, it's going to be a red tsunami. And it seems like that red tsunami was basically just contained to Florida. (laughs) DeSantis cleaned the clock of his opponent, winning by like 20 points. Marco Rubio or little Marco, uh, you know, depending on who you ask, won his race by 16 and a half points. Uh, So, I mean, Florida's like solidly red, very, very solidly red. And it was like, Oh, that didn't happen the rest of the states. Like, I think so. I, I think it's like starting off with this like really good appetizer, and then like the main course was just like satisfactory. Well, but does it, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's partially true. But doesn't that kind of disprove the theory that you had before, which was the theory that the theory that you advanced before was that it was about abortion, and that and that that was really one of the main reasons why that that this didn't materialize the way a lot of people thought everything else is terrible, but there's that abortion issue and that's well, but that didn't seem to matter in Florida. And last um, I checked, that's maybe, maybe it would have won by 30 points. A lot of women. I don't know. <laughs> maybe well, it would have won but, by 30 the, points. Well, but that's, but that's the thing. That's a state that's a, that normally you don't win by 20 or 30, 20 points. So, that's fair. so something fair happened there that didn't happen elsewhere. And, and, and abortion is not that because that issue is the same everywhere. So what I think, I think what I believe is, and, um, and I don't think Republicans really want to admit this, but I think that this is probably the most logical explanation for what happened. Republicans nationally, uh, really didn't have a plan. Didn't have a big grand vision for how to fix the country. Did not run on here's how we're going to solve your problems or here's our big sweeping change for America or whatever. Contract with America for there was nothing. There was nothing. Their 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 campaign slogan was we're not the Democrats. (laughs) Biden stinks. Biden's a Biden's a joke. And everyone's like, yeah, but I think in a lot of parts of the country, and I think this explains perfectly what happened in Pennsylvania. In a lot of parts of the country, Jim's from Pennsylvania, so he knows this, there is a tent they want deep in their souls. They want to vote for Democrats. They actually do because that's in the bloodstream. Like I'm from New England. 
Jim's from Pennsylvania. In those places, there's this old school establishment like affinity for the Democratic Party that goes back a long ways because of unions and all this stuff that happened 50 years ago. That Democrat Party is dead. I know that. You know that. People who pay attention know that. And in their hearts, they know that too. But they still, they want to vote Democrat. But if a Republican comes along that gives them a good reason not to vote Democrat, they absolutely will because the Democrats have lost their minds in a lot of these places, including in Pennsylvania. I mean, literally, literally, Fetterman can barely function. So, but they would rather vote for that than vote for just your run-of-the-mill Republican that has no big grand vision for any, you have to give them a reason. So in Florida, there was a reason. The reason was Ron DeSantis had a vision. He was very clear about that vision. And for four years of being governor, everybody understood what that vision was. He put Florida first. He took on the establishment. He did the unpopular thing that he thought was right. And he was wildly successful. And people from all across the country flocked to Florida and to be basically free. I mean, that's why they went there to be free and to have lower taxes, better economy, better weather, et cetera. Right. But that's why they went to Florida. And so there was a clear vision that people were able to buy into and say, yeah, I'm for that. But in all these other races, it's like, it just comes down to, well, are you against the Democrats? Cause the Republicans don't really have, they're not really offering me anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that coupled with the Democrats were successful in those places because they control the media in convincing a lot of regular uh, suburban, uh, especially women, that the Republicans' mission in life all over the country is to take away your right to an abortion, which a lot of women do care about. That's true. And the other thing was that any any Republican that's ever said something nice about Donald Trump is a uh, treasonous, election-denying, January 6th rioter. Whether they were there or not, whether they said anything about elections or not, doesn't matter. That's who they are. And and so they turned Republicans, the standard just Republican Party, generic ballot, those people are, are radicals, okay? And unless you gave them a reason to buy into some vision, they are all things being equal in in a place like Pennsylvania will go for the Democrat. And that's the problem. All things were equal in too many of these States where they have a tendency to lean Democrat, but not in Florida. And that's why in Florida they won overwhelmingly. So, so I want to, I want to talk about this, this kind of this narrative that's been going around and this doesn't seem to be an artificially created narrative by the corporate media uh it seems pretty organic this discussion that's been sprouting up in nearly every corner of the conservative sphere and that is trump versus desantis so this is popping up uh because while desantis cleaned up in florida many of the trump endorsed candidates didn't fare so well uh the most obvious being the candidate uh dr oz in pennsylvania lost to fetterman who's you know, and, and unlike Justin, I'm not trying to be mean here, has literal brain damage. Uh, in an Axios article uh, I have linked in the show notes, it shows the win-loss rate of the Trump-endorsed candidates. And it looks like Trump's picks will end up being mostly split for the governor spots, pretty much split when it comes to the House spots, and a little bit better than than that when it comes to the Senate seats. But altogether, it was a, a less than stellar record when it comes to Trump's endorsements. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of commentary out there that's saying that Trump, while not on the ballot, was the biggest loser of the night. And again, before I get a bunch of angry comments, let me just quickly say that I'm a I am and and have been a big Trump fan. (laughs) And I know much of the media hates him. And that makes me tend to like him even more. So none of this should be taken as some type of attack on the man. So let me just put that out there. Uh, Jim, with everybody's eyes already on the general election, you know, two two years from now, what do you think Trump should do? Not will do, should do. Uh, he's supposed to announce what he's going to do, uh, I believe, on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. Uh, I think <laughs> I think the mood of that is going to be a lot different uh, <laughs> for than it would have been had Tuesday, this Tuesday turned out a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, it's it's. There's a lot of Trump fans um, who are disappointed and disappointed in Trump. 
I mean, he said yesterday, was he tweeted yesterday? Or I'm sorry, he doesn't, he's not on Twitter, on Truth Social, but I saw it screen capped and shared on Twitter. Uh, he was uh, ribbing DeSantis for not getting as many million votes as he did for president in uh, in 20, uh, I guess maybe either in 2016 or 2020. Right. Uh, so then he was saying, so like, you know, I'm more popular than you, even in your own state, which is an absurd thing to say, uh, because this was a midterm election, not a presidential election. And it it accomplishes nothing when people's uh, and it does, to put that out there when conservatives and your own supporters and Republicans are pretty upset about what happened on Tuesday to kind of basically be <laughs> be uh, trying to you know throw cold water on the only really super fantastic good news of the night that the Democrats were absolutely routed in the state of Florida and you and you as Trump come in and just kind of make fun of them for it. I mean that's. That that's indicative of the worst of Trump. I mean, even Trump's fans and, and what I liked about Trump was basically two things and still like about Trump. He drives the media crazy. Or maybe I'm going to have to have more fingers here. He drives the media crazy. He doesn't put up <laughs> any any uh, BS from them. He calls them fake news. Uh, he, he those are huge for me because as a former member of the media. Uh, and two, his most of his policy decisions uh, as president were extremely beneficial to this country. We had a, a roaring economy. We had our allies, supposed allies in NATO, starting to pay their fair share for their own continent's defense. We had expansion of uh, energy uh, energy production in this country, to which we were, it made us energy independent for the first time in anyone, really almost anyone's lifetime in this country. Those are enormously positive accomplishments. And for, for that, he should be admired. But it's really hard to to you know again admire that kind of pettiness that he tends to just not be able to resist it's easy to let that go while he's president and implementing all these wonderful policies and pissing off the media it's a little harder to do when you're when your emotions are still a little bit too raw uh from what was a, kind of a disappointing night and i just yeah. wanted to add one more one more thing just going back to what justin had said about pennsylvania yeah i'm from i'm from pittsburgh uh john fetterman who is who is what you get if you uh, if Lurch and Uncle Fester had a baby, you end up with John Fetterman. Uh, <laughs> he won 63% of the vote in uh, in my beloved Pittsburgh, and he won 81% of the vote or 82% of the vote in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, over the rest of the country, over the rest of the the counties in Pennsylvania, um, Dr. Oz won. Um, you know, again, Dr. Oz was the handpicked candidate of Donald Trump. There was actually really no reason for him to get involved in the primary at all. He could have actually poured his support both physically and financially, which he did almost none of in the cycle, by the way. He didn't pay for any ads. There was no, you know, uh, Make America Great Again pack, for instance, that he could have poured money into to run ads in some of these places, trying to get some kind of cohesive message. Um, and, and he didn't do that. And so, you know, his his he may have a mixed record on the on the people he supported, but it was a pretty half hearted support up and down the tickets, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, Donald Trump at least was planning on announcing his run. Um, I'm sure it's still the case. He was interviewed by Glenn Beck a few days ago, like right before the election. And Beck asked him, he's like, you know, I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you going to run Trump? And he says, uh, I'm going to make a major announcement next week. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to be very happy, very happy about the announcement. So he's basically saying, like, yes, I'm going to I'm going to run. So recently, you know, uh, obviously looking towards a potential matchup against DeSantis, Trump has taken a few shots at the Florida governor, referring to him as Ron DeSanctimonious at one point. Uh, he he mentioned um, how he's got like dirt on DeSantis. And he says that like nobody knows DeSantis more than me, like even maybe even more than his own wife or something like that. So, Justin, to me, this is like the worst case scenario. I like Trump, like I said, but I also like DeSantis. And I think that DeSantis would be a stronger candidate, all things considered. Uh, and to have them potentially beating each other up for months in a primary sounds horrible. What do you think about all this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> I mean, how does this how does this help? See, like th this is this is the issue. The issue that we have right now on the right is that there is no clear message. There is no clear sweeping idea. There is no uh, like conservative version of single payer healthcare, which is was a big thing a few years back. Green New Deal, which was a big thing 
a couple years after that. Uh, there's no student debt forgiveness type thing. I'm not saying these policies are good. These policies are all bad, but I'm saying where's the conservative version of that where they come out and say, well, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to fix America. This is how your life's going to be much better. If you vote for us, this thing is going to yeah. happen. They they don't do that. They have given up entirely the whole conservative movement right now from a political standpoint. I'm not saying at the think tank level, we talk about policy all the time, but they're not. The It's all about politics now in, in for Republicans. And that's, that's the issue. So the reason I bring that up is not that Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump don't have policy ideas. It's that that will not be the focus if those two are fighting each other. The focus is going to be taking cheap shots. It's going to be political posturing. It's going to be about political strategy. That's what's going to be on TV every single night. That's what people are going to be talking about. The policy proposals that that are there are going to be swept under the rug. And all anyone's going to talk about is the, is the politics. And the crazy thing that Trump said the other day on social media and how Ron DeSantis responds or doesn't respond to it, does that mean that he believes it or agrees with Trump or, <laughs> or maybe he doesn't agree with it or maybe his reaction wasn't strong enough? That's what's going to be all. It's going to be like that all the time for years. That's what's going. That's what's going to happen. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let's, let's respond to this question right here. Would Trump DeSantis be a dream ticket? A, and I think part B, would that even be like remotely possible? So I, I would, I would, yeah, I mean, Jim's holding up a zero. I would say, I would say that if Ron DeSantis is stupid enough to run on a ticket with Donald Trump, he does not deserve to be president of the United States. <laughs> and, and I would say he's not, he's not stupid and he's not going to do that. Sure. <laughs> but, but if he is, then he does not deserve to be president because that would be absolutely insane. Yeah, There's yeah, I, no I, reason to do that at all for him. Yeah, Justin, let me talk a little bit about this vision thing you're talking about. And I think you're right. I mean, we don't live in Florida, but we, I, and I, you know, with one eye looked a little bit at what DeSantis was doing down there, but he did have a message. And his message was, I'm going to get your life back to normal. We're going to get the kids back in school. You're not going to mask them anymore. Um, if you're a parent, you're going to be able to live a normal life with your children and your family again. And I'm going to stop all this woke crap and get uh, the radical left's. Uh, leftist agenda out of our public schools. I don't live there. And I know that that's what his message was. And it was obviously an overwhelmingly successful message because that's what people actually want. Now, is it harder for a member of Congress to say that he's going to be able to do that for you, considering the Congress doesn't have really a lot of control over that? Yeah. And uh, but it worked in in Florida. I mean, heck, it was just a year ago where the media was pounding Ron DeSantis for for with whole we are, I'm sure I'm sorry for threatening Disney with its special tax breaks to uh, remove those if right. they didn't stop all this woke BS. He got hammered in the press for that. He, you know, even people on the right said that's a bad idea, man. Don't do that. Uh, it worked. It worked so well because it, it actually expresses a vision of, a, of the country. And I think, you know, if that's why I think a lot of people are excited about the idea of Ron DeSantis running for president because he yeah, is a person who would be able to bring forward a conservative vision that actually has an impact on people's lives and resonates with voters. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I I would be perfectly okay, like, trading out Trump for DeSantis. I think DeSantis brings a lot to the table that used to be unique to Trump. And that's why, like, I like Trump so much, was because he was, like, the only person that was espousing some of these, like, you know, America first, uh, uh, energy independence, like, some of that stuff. Like, with, with real, uh, you know, enthusiasm behind it, at least. DeSantis doesn't pull any punches when it comes to the media, stuff like that. So if I had to trade out Trump, uh, you know, for like for DeSantis, I would be pretty easy to do that. But if it were the like if, if I had to trade out Trump for some like establishment Republican like Mitt Romney or something like that, it would be a lot harder for me to buy in that. Probably impossible, actually. <laughs> like, thankfully, you know, Ron DeSantis does bring to the table some of the things that made me like Trump in the first place. So um, but um, I, there's a couple more topics that I want to get to. We were already talking about this Dr. Oz and this Fetterman thing, which is just just absurd. Um, I, I mean, I I thought I, I know the poll showed whatever they were showing when it comes to this race, but I thought there was no chance that this Fetterman guy was going to win. Like, again, not trying to be mean, literal brain damage. Right. And like our politics so partisan that you would vote for someone who can't communicate coherently 
just because they have the right letter in front of their name. Like, like yes. that's, that's, that's insane to me. And Justin, I showed this next clip to Jim earlier, and I hope you haven't seen it yet because I want to see your uh, initial reaction to it. But this is a panel on MSNBC that's not only congratulating Fetterman on his election to the Senate, but speculating on his chances if he were to run for president. So go ahead and play, <laughs> go ahead and play this. I have play, not Andy. seen this. As a nominee at some point for president, um, I know there's some variables, obviously, <laughs> but just a few. Just a few. <laughs> but I just, you know, it, it, what he did in the in the super red, deep red parts of Pennsylvania and the way that he ran ahead of Biden, as you were saying, ran ahead of Trump. I mean, it just makes it makes you wonder about his future. <laughs> so what do you uh, think, Justin? What do we think? Should we start clocking them in for the 2024 primary now or what? You know, the thing that I actually love about this, that um, obvi- obviously these people are <laughs> mentally insane. But but the thing that I the thing that I love about this is, you know, you know what this is doing in effect? Like They didn't think this when they said this, but this is a panel full of I think they were all women, right? Panel no, Michael Steele all, was in there. All women. Oh, OK. So they're all women. So they're, all women. <laughs> they're on the panel and they're, they're talking about, uh, you know, president, future presidents. And you know who they, they would, they, in their minds, they're thinking, you know, this John Fetterman guy, yeah, he can barely speak, but you know what? He might, and he's kind he of brain dead, me. <laughs> but no, even better. He's, he's probably a better choice than our sitting vice president. Yeah. You know, isn't it interesting how you would, can you imagine if, if anybody thought for even a second that she was a reasonable option, even a little bit, there is no freaking way anybody on these networks would say anything other than she's the one, she's the one, she's the one, she's the one. And yet now we literally have people who have mental, severe mental ailments are now moving up the list above the sitting vice president of the United States, a woman who would be the first female president in, in American history, a panel full of women saying on C on left-wing MSNBC saying, you know what? This uh, guy with all the mental problems, him, he's, you know, he could win. Maybe he could probably win. That oh, good. He didn't tell you everything you need to know about Kamala Harris. Like, yeah. like, I mean, that is seriously as big of a slap in the face as you could possibly imagine. And Kamala Harris is like, I mean, she's living out the plot of, of Veep. She just is of, of HBO's Veep. She's living that plot out. Just nobody wants her. Nobody likes her. She's completely useless in every way. And, and it's, it's truly astounding how unpopular she is. It really, and this is just perfect example of it um but what but the thing that that beyond in addition to that i mean listening to that is sort of it is nauseating i mean the only reason they're saying this is because they're just so excited that they didn't get completely blown out that they are uncontrollably happy here and and to the point where they're in a euphoric state saying insane things and that's that is just that just eats away yeah. at my soul i mean oh god i hate that jim there, there's a joke i'm pretty sure you're aware of it uh it's based off that really good uh mike judge movie idiocracy where people say that like oh we're getting close to electing president camacho as president <laughs> and i think we might have blown past that already at this level uh. of insanity with this panel considering john fetterman as like a realistic candidate it's like we're, we're gonna long for the days of president camacho if there are any parts serious about this what, what Look, were your thoughts when you saw did you think that that was real when i sent it or was that like a deep fake or what was your initial i i thought yeah when you said that to her like oh, come on that's not they're not all i saw was the link and it said you know fetterman run for president i said you are this is a this is a joke nobody <laughs> would actually say this on television nobody would say this on television uh and yet there it was i had to watch the clip and it was real uh you know <laughs> Uh, you know, a Biden Fetterman ticket, you know, move Kamala out of the way and make it Biden Fetterman 2024. That's a winning ticket ticket because, you know, Katie Turr was the MSNBC person there. 
and she was touting how how uh, how well Fetterman did in red districts in uh, in Pennsylvania. As I just mentioned before, that's not how or why he won. He did not do great in red districts. He did great. He, he won for two reasons. One, because of Pittsburgh, where I said, or again, he got like 63, 65 percent of the vote and Philadelphia. Amazingly, 81 percent of the vote. And two, and, and one of our comment commenters here on YouTube had, had mentioned it, I was going to mention it anyway, that, uh, yeah, Tucker Carlson in his monologue last night said that in Pennsylvania, 70% of Democrats did mail-in balloting and voted early. And so there was a reason why, I mean, there's a reason why they moved that debate between uh, Dr. Oz and John Fetterman to, what was it? It was like a week week before the election, maybe 10 days before the election. They were supposed to have a, a debate in September. They didn't have it. Because Uncle Fester was was recovering from a stroke. That's why he it was absolutely impossible for him to do a debate. It was already pretty bad. And uh, and so, you know, when most of the Democrats, they would have voted for him anyway. But, you know, I think one of the things about this election cycle, actually, that, that I hope we can get some some uh, consensus on from both liberals, conservatives, Democrats and Republicans, is that we need to fix the way we vote, uh, you know, have elections run in this country. Uh, we're still waiting. I think this morning it was still only 67 percent of the vote was counted in the state of Arizona. Uh, Florida is two or three times larger than Arizona, and they had all their votes counted uh, by 10 p.m. Eastern time. And we we're able to announce the results. We're, so we're, we're going to be waiting until like past the weekend, maybe next week to see who's going to be the, the new senator from the state of Arizona when the entire uh, federal government can hang in the balance. That's insane. Now, of course, Florida in, in the year 2000 had a real big problem with their election. Uh, you know, the butterfly ballot, the hanging chads and all that nonsense. Mm. And, uh, you know, they actually figured out a way to fix it. If if every, every governor should go should be calling up Florida and say, how do you do that? Why don't you do a seminar? How about a big Zoom call? Let's all <laughs> right. do it like Florida so that we actually know what's going on in this country on election night or the morning after and not weeks after the after the election is over. Yep, yep, no doubt about that. Yeah, Fetterman. That, that's a career that we're going to keep a close eye on. He's he's got he's got room to grow. The ceiling. I, I don't know where the ceiling is. He doesn't is he gonna, know where the ceiling is. Is he going to wear his hoodie and and uh, skateboard shorts in the uh, on the floor of the Senate? Is what I'm actually curious about. All I know is that he supports fracking. He stands and he supports fracking and he stands. So that's all I need to know about him to know that he's got presidential material written all over him. Uh, so let's talk about what happens next. So I want to start off this. Uh, <laughs> I want to start off this segment by playing a clip. Now this one's going to be a uh, e maybe even rougher to stomach than that Fetterman one. So this is former press secretary Jen Psaki reporting on the moon, the, the mood of the White House during election night. Go ahead and play this video. Touch with the White House. They are giddy and gleeful as they should be hmm. about where things are sitting right now, Rachel. But also candidates, regardless of what the outcome was, candidates were not running against the Biden agenda. If the That's Republicans right. had won back a bunch of seats, it wasn't because Democrats were running away from uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, right, and doing something about climate change or building bridges and fixing roads uh, or running away from Biden saying, I want you to codify Roe and protect a woman's right to choose. The takeaway to me is this is the right agenda. So this is a uh, a professional spin artist that's putting a spin on everything that's going on and concocting a narrative that's going to be uh, uh, doled out to the public for the next several weeks in the in the uh, wake of this election. So, Justin, I'm going to go to you first. Do you think the White House is now granted this is earlier on the night, so they don't know exactly how the uh, the results kind of uh, you know, we still don't know how the results are going to pan out but do you think the white house is right to be gleeful and giddy over these uh results what do you think justin uh you know i i i guess um it's sort of like if you know you commit a crime and instead of getting life in prison you get 40 years in prison it's like i <laughs> guess would giddy. you be gleeful and giddy i don't know i mean it seems kind of bizarre but it just goes to show you how bad even they thought things were gonna go <laughs> i mean when you they, they could still lose the House and the Senate and yet be gleeful and giddy about it because at least it wasn't by, you know, 50 seats instead of instead it was only, you know, by 15. Like, that's that's great. It's like that's that's really not 
Um, but, you know, it kind of fits, right? I mean, this is a loser administration, so losing fits right in with everything else they do. So I guess it, it makes sense. But I, look, I, I think that the Biden administration's agenda is effectively dead, regardless of what happens, because, because Republicans are almost certainly going to win the House if they don't by some tragedy it will be only by a few seats like it'll it'll be one seat or two seats you know so they're not going to be able to push this crazy far left-wing agenda that they've been pushing so far you're not going to get another inflation reduction act or anything right. like that like that isn't going to happen the biden administration's agenda is dead it, it, the only things they can do now are through the executive branch they're going to try to do a ton of that regardless of how this election turns out uh the senate still matters because if Republicans can get 51 votes, then that means that Biden isn't going to get any more Supreme Court justices on the mm. on the bench. So that is really, really important. Um, and federal justices as well. So that still matters. This, these things matter. There's really no reason for them to be happy or celebrating, though, because their agenda is dead. And, and Biden is not going to be president uh, for a second term. I don't think that's even possible because I think he's he's probably not going to run again. Even if Democrats win, I don't think Biden will will win. So really, I don't know why they would be celebrating why they would be celebrating other than I guess they just thought that it was going to be a, a bloodbath. Uh, I thought it was. Most Americans thought it was, and it didn't turn out that way. So I guess that's better than nothing. But still, I mean, I don't yeah. know why you would be celebrating. Uh, if you lose by three points versus losing by 33 points, you're still losing. And that's right. I, you know, well, you know what? Uh, the Chicago Bears just lost by uh, by uh, just a couple of points. And we are out there celebrating, too, because Justin Fields looked pretty good in that in that uh, thing. So I don't know. A little bit of an analogy there. But Jim, well, the, the, the... go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I'm just the the narrative being spun by the White House was that this is. Like they, they should almost feel vindicated in recent statements. The Biden and administration officials have signaled that they're 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 more or less going to stay the course when it comes to their policy, because clearly American public likes oh. the direction that they're trying to take the country in and all of this stuff. And that goes for them, you know, with energy policy, fighting back climate change. This includes increased spending. This includes, you know, pursuing election integrity laws and all of that stuff. But again, like, does that even really matter? considering that Congress will either be divided or completely controlled by by Republicans by when this is all said and done? What do you think? Well, first of all, to just kind of loop it all the way back to the beginning of this podcast uh, and why, you know, conservatives and people on the right were disappointed with the results is because with all the factors that were factored in, it should have been a complete red tsunami. Uh uh, in uh, let's see here in Trump's midterm, 43% of voters said the country was headed in the right direction. It was just 26 for Biden's for, for for Biden in his midterm election, and just a few weeks ago, the uh, you know that we're heading in the right direction was in the teens, and an exit poll by CNN showed that seventy three percent of voters were either angry or dissatisfied with the way things are going in America. Uh, so this idea that this giddy idea that uh, <laughs> our agenda was not rejected uh, is not borne out by the facts. You know why why it wasn't a bigger Republican victory? You know I think it will take a little bit more time maybe to figure that out. But the fact is, it doesn't matter if you win by fifty or you win by one. A win is a win, and uh, the Democrats in the House don't get to run. They don't get to chair any of the committees. They don't get to set the agenda. They don't get to write the budget. They don't get to write tax law. Uh, that's all going to go to the Republicans. And again, as I said earlier, you know my big concern is that Republicans in Congress uh, tend to be pretty feckless and. Again, I don't want them to be able to, to try to prove to the American people that we're worthy of governing. Uh, your job is to stop all of this leftist nonsense that's coming out of the administration and perhaps even out of the Senate. Um, you know, you have to stop this agenda. And I think Justin is right. For the most part, at least when it comes to legislation, the agenda is dead. I mean, he is a lame duck president right now. Yeah. But if you think if you think Joe Biden is not going to run for president, let's let's just put it this way. If it was a 50, 50 seat a pickup in the House for Republicans, Joe Biden is dead. He's a dead man walking politically because of, look at the euphoria from these people. Mm. I mean, the, the Democrats, it's it's like surviving, it's the euphoria of surviving an auto accident. You know, you you start to enter the, the intersection and a huge semi-truck comes along and shears off the very front of your car, leaving you sitting there exposed to the world with your feet hanging out, but you're alive. And that's exhilarating. Oh, my God. I can't believe I survived. I'm not dead. I should have been dead. 
that's the euphoria that that is being felt on you on MSNBC, and that is going to translate to Joe Biden. I mean, I watched about six so, seconds. So in twenty, so in twenty twenty four, they're like, go full speed in that same intersection, bro. That's right. I guess so. But look, I mean, I watched about thirty, where about ninety seconds of Joe Biden's press conference yesterday about the midterms. He was that was actually the best I'd ever seen him. You know, he was mm. actually energetic. He was excited. He was happy. Um, there, the, so the giddiness in the White House is real. And if you think Joe Biden is now going to step aside and say, "I've done my job for this country and for, and for history," and leave the stage, they're going to have to drag him away. He's running and again, on a high note. and that's and on good a high note, news. Biden. And on a high note, Biden. Yeah, come on. You could do that. He could do that. I mean, I, I just don't I don't I don't I just don't think there was ever a plan, regardless of what happened for him to run again. I think the plan is for him not to run again. He can't say that because he because then he has no political clout at all. But I, I don't see anybody thinking that he's going to make it through another. Can you imagine this guy being president for six more years? I mean, come on. He, he, can, there's no way. But, but beside all, putting all that aside, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to take a positive away from this, other than, you know, Republicans probably will, will almost certainly will win the House and they probably will, uh, they have a good shot or a decent shot of, of actually taking control of the Senate. Uh, but even beyond that, in a way, you could make the case that given how fundamentally flawed the Republican strategy has been, the messaging has been, the lack of focus on policy has been, um, this is sort of the best outcome in a sure. way. Because if they had won in a blowout, I'm not sure that that anyone would have noticed that there was a problem. You know, I don't know that anybody would have stopped and said, hey, you know, something isn't resonating with people. They would have thought, nope, they blew them out. Now we have the benefit of being able to look at the situation with open eyes, say, you know what? There clearly is a problem here Do a and we need to change something. Here. Yeah, yeah, without having totally lost, right? right. So we did win. So Republicans did win. Conservatives did win. The conservative movement did win. Not by as much as we wanted, not in a way that is convincing, not in a way that will allow us to really make big sweeping changes, which is what we need to do. But- they didn't lose completely and they still get to see that, you know what, we do have to make some changes. And in addition to that, there was a clear illustration of someone who did overwhelmingly win and not just Ron DeSantis, but all Republicans in Florida did really, really mm -hmm. well. Marco Rubio won by like 10 plus points. That was 16. a guy who also, yeah, that was a guy who also originally barely won. So the Republican branding because I think largely of Ron DeSantis was very, very effective in Florida and not in much of the rest of the country uh, in these swing states. What, what about, so what about Ohio? A clear lesson. What about Ohio? Oh, J.D. Vance, an author yep. of, of Hillbilly Elegy, who is a complete political neophyte, uh, wins handily and easily in the state of Ohio. So he's going right. to be senator for the next six years. So there, there are places there where are you know, conservatism actually did win in a lot of places. People are kind of losing sight of that. A lot of a lot of people got elected on Tuesday who who expressed a clear conservative vision and won pretty comfortably with it. Oh, I've got a better a, a better uh, win uh, than what you proposed there, Justin. This is the best thing of the night. And that was the fact that Beto O'Rourke's career is over. Please cross my fingers. Please tell me that that's the case. So. He's done, right? I mean, come on. He's lost on every I, level I, now. He's got to be done. Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible. There were a couple He's of- open um, up a bike shop or something like that and sell there, scooters there were, to kids. There were a couple of, there were a couple of pluses. Uh, uh, Beto, Beto O'Rourke's career probably is over. Um, another dancing fanatic- um, uh, <laughs> Stacey Abrams' career is hopefully over because she got beat very badly in Georgia. And Charlie Crist in Florida became one of the very first politicians ever to lose a federal race, both as a Republican, an Independent, and a Democrat. He's lost <laughs> the trifecta. all three. The trifecta. The trifecta. I mean, very rare for that that's, to happen. That's hard uh, to do, man. That's hard to do. <laughs> hard to do in fairness it's extremely hard to get a nomination uh in both the republican and democratic parties in your in one career that's tough and as independent to even be on the ballot as a serious candidate so to for him to lose in all three so we may see the demise of both O'Rourke of all all three of those abrams o'rourke and charlie christ all of them losers and i'm glad that they're gone so 
that's great. I mean, that is a plus. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yep. And there's a, there's a picture of Beto. Where's the video of him dancing? That's oh, what we God. should have. We don't need we to should have the video of him dancing, oh, please. No. But yeah, you know, uh, Beto has spent Beto has spent 164 million dollars in both his pres his his doomed presidential uh, attempt and in this attempt to be uh, governor of Texas. Uh, so yeah, I mean, is it good that uh, 164 million dollars were just set on fire in completely unwinnable races? Yeah. The, the the other the other thing that it illustrates very clearly is the fact that Democrats thought that Beto O'Rourke, Stacey Abrams, Charlie Crist, and and uh, Fetterman, that these people are good candidates, viable candidates, regardless of what happened on election. It, it shows how completely and utterly out of touch they are as well. It's just the, 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 the people who won, like Fetterman, won because he was a Democrat and Republicans didn't have a good vision on the other side, but not because of anything having to do with him. So Democrats, I don't think, have learned their lesson from this at all. Not at all, which is probably a good thing for our side as well. Yeah, and Jim the criticism, the, the yeah, the criticism of of Republicans and one of the you know instant instant takes on Twitter on election night was like uh, candidate quality matters. You know, well, it's like it's not just on the Republican side. It happens on the you know they would actually point to Dr. Oz, like you know this guy shouldn't have been running for Senate. That's ridiculous. But yeah, you got Beto, you got uh, Fetterman, you have Christ, you have uh, uh, Stacey Abrams. Abrams. So candidate quality actually goes both ways, and they lost those races because they had horrible candidates. Yep. Well, uh, we're going to be turn, uh, turning back to policy. This was a uh, you know an unusual venture into politics for uh, this podcast. But we're going to be turning back to policy in the in the future here, the future episodes. But uh, I just do want to thank you for tuning into this episode of In the Tank Podcast. Um, if you would like, you could hit that subscribe button. That'd be greatly appreciated. Hit that uh, share button. Hit the like button, leave a comment under this video, all things that you could do to help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. If you would like, you can follow us on Twitter at In The Tank Pod. If you have any questions, suggestions, or uh, you know anything for the show, feel free to email us at inthetankpodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, where I have a big, beautiful, new blue checkmark. Also, that he paid Hartlet for. Quiet. Also, Heartland is <laughs> on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. <laughs> Justin Haskins, where can the fine people find you? Uh, at Justin T. Haskins on Facebook, Twitter, Parlor, Getter, Facebook, and uh, at stoppingsocialism.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for tuning into this episode of In the Tank. Talk to you next week. Finger guns. Oh, God. And the hips come get in my car for a yellow bone. <laughs> just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>